I love Rachel Remen. You remember we brought her here to speak at St. Luke's a number of years ago. She is the author of two New York Times best-selling books, Kitchen Table Wisdom and My Grandfather's Blessing. She's just such an amazing lady of faith. and I love it when she tells the story of how she was born prematurely. And as a premature baby, she really was very early, and they weren't sure whether she was going to live or not. Her grandfather was a Jewish rabbi, and he came to the hospital to look at his granddaughter, and he was there for a while looking at her, and finally he said, She will live. Rachel will choose life. And the baby did. Rachel chose life. She lived. And she began to grow up healthy and strong. But she never did speak. She never did say anything. There was no mama, dada. She was growing, hitting her markers, but she never did speak. Her parents were physicians. They were very concerned. They began taking her to different doctors, and all of them simply said, you remember she was very much premature. She struggled. Our guess is there's some sort of cognitive impairment. My guess is she will always be slow. Well, of course, nothing could be further from the truth. It turned out that Rachel was brilliant. There were no lasting problems. She just didn't speak. They didn't know why. Well, as I said, both her parents were physicians, and they had fallen in love with science to the exclusion of everything else. There was no room in their life for faith. There was no room in their life for the stories of their religion growing up. But they did have to work, and when they worked all the time, they would ask Rachel's grandfather, the Jewish rabbi, to come over and babysit. And they said, though, to Rachel's grandfather, do not be telling your granddaughter all the stories of your faith. Do not talk about those stories. We don't want to hear those in our home. And so he agreed. So whenever he was there in their home and they were there, he abided by their wishes. But when they left, he did what he wanted to do. And so he would talk to his granddaughter growing up from this littlest baby. He would tell her the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He would tell her the stories of the God of creation. No, he told her the stories. Well, time went by. Rachel was now three and a half years old, almost four. She still had never spoken, never said a word. And there they were at Thanksgiving dinner with all the extended family, aunts and uncles and cousins and, and of course, grandfather, and all the people were there. And as they're having this dinner, suddenly Rachel says, Pass the salt, please. It just stopped everybody in their tracks. Everybody's suddenly listening, and then they begin to laugh, and they're going, what? Her first words, they're not mama, papa. It's pass the salt, please. It had everybody just in hysterics. They couldn't believe it, but they were thrilled. She was speaking. And as the years went by, they loved telling that story over and over again. They would tell it every year to Thanksgiving. It became legendary. Whenever they told that story, they would laugh. And Rachel said, as I was growing up, I would laugh too. 
but not for the reason they thought. I was laughing, she said, because they really thought those were the first words I ever said. But they weren't. No, the first words she ever said was the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. She said, the first words I ever spoke were Hebrew. When she got older, she asked her grandfather, so why did you teach me those words? Why were those so important? Why did you want them to be my first words? And her grandfather said, Rachel, as you go through the years, life is going to be good and life will be hard. You will have good times and hard times. That's life. But when you find yourself in a hard time, when you are struggling, when the nights are dark, say the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, our Lord is one. And when you say the Shema, you will have the strength to choose to love. You will have the strength to choose life because you trust God. It's when you and I trust God that we are able to choose life, even in the midst of the darkness. It's called faith. For us, faith is trusting in God's constant love of us, His children. And when you and I trust in God's constant love of us, His children, well, then we're able to choose life and love, even in the midst of the darkness, even in the most difficult of moments. It comes through our faith. Today, you know, we're, we're coming to the last Sunday in the season of Advent. Next is the celebration of Christmas Eve. It's hard to believe. It is the fourth Sunday in the season of Advent, and we have been lighting our Advent wreath every single week. Today, we light the candle of faith. We started out four weeks ago lighting the candle of love. And then it was the candle of peace. And then the candle of joy. And today, the candle of faith. Being reminded that when you and I receive this gift of faith, when we choose to trust in God's constant love of us, His children, that's when He will give us the strength to know joy, to experience peace, to make the decision to choose to love, to live. And so this morning in our scripture lesson, we wanted to look at, at the story of a man of great faith and how it leads to life. And his name is Simeon. It actually takes place not long after Jesus is born. You can read about it in the book of Luke in the second chapter, verses 25 through 35. It's only 11 verses long. And in those 11 verses, we meet Simeon, we hear him, and that's all we know about him. Now, what do we know about this person, Simeon? Well, some people say he obviously was an old man. Because when he held the baby Jesus, he said, Now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. But just because he said he wasn't afraid to die doesn't really mean he's old. No, we don't know if Simeon was old or young. 
Some people say, well, he must have been a priest. He was there in the temple. But many people were in the temple. Maybe he was a priest. Maybe he was a lay person of great faith. We don't know. What we do know about Simeon is that he was living in a time that was extremely uncertain. The Roman government ruled. And the Roman government had complete control and ruled with an iron fist. Life was very uncertain. Between the Romans and health concerns and safety, I mean, life was very uncertain. It was difficult under the Romans in that day, for sure. There was a time of religious strife. The Jews themselves were very divided on theological topics. You had the Sadducees and you had the Pharisees and you know, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They did believe in a resurrection. You had the Sanhedrin that was trying to make everybody live by more than 600 laws in order to be righteous. And if you weren't righteous, you were cast out. And it caused a struggle between those who had the time and the means to live according to the laws and the common people who struggled. Now they struggled politically because within the Jewish faith, some said we need to make peace with Rome so that we can worship in the temple and keep our temple and have our faith. And others said, no, we need to revolt and throw off the Romans and reestablish the kingdom of David. No, there was a real struggle politically, religiously, in a time of great uncertainty. That we know about Simeon. But one other thing we know about Simeon is he was a man of great faith. It says he was a devout and righteous man who kept believing that God would reveal himself into the world, that a light would shine in the darkness. Simeon believed, and he was trusting, and he was waiting, believing that a light would be a revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory of Israel. He was willing to trust and to wait in the darkness. This morning, I want us to continue on with our sermon series, Light of the World. We started four weeks ago hearing how the book of John said, a light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so it is for us. We come to this day being able to say in a time of darkness, in a time of great struggle where we're all being affected so much, we trust, we have faith in the gift of God's love, believing that it is through that gift of God's love we will know love and peace and joy. So how does it lead us there? How does faith lead us there? I want us to look at Simeon this morning. And I really want to just share with you two thoughts. First of all, Simeon comes to the temple. And here come Mary and Joseph bringing the baby Jesus. Now they were bringing the baby Jesus because this was the custom, one of those 600 laws I was just talking about. And though they were poor, the common people, they were trying to fulfill all that was required to offer a sacrifice for this baby boy. And so they came to the temple, and when Simeon sees them, it's like the Holy Spirit opens his eyes and he knows this is the one. 
This is the one that God has promised. And so he goes and he says, may I hold your baby? And he takes the baby Jesus and holds him. And he says, now let thy servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen the salvation that has been prepared for all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory of Israel. After all these years, Simeon was holding this baby. And in that moment, he felt hope. A hope for the future, to be able to choose love and peace and joy, to choose life. He felt that hope in that moment. That's where you and I find ourselves right now during this, this time that we call very dark. The pandemic has really made 2020 a challenging time. And people keep saying this is going to be the darkest of the times of all the pandemic. It's hard to believe 11 months ago we were starting to hear about this. Nine months ago, well, we really begin to feel it here in Oklahoma City and we were asked to start shutting things down. We were struggling with what are we going to do? You know, in those days, most of us did not know a single person who had the coronavirus. And we all kind of wondered, what is all of this that's going on? Nine months later, every single one of us knows one or many people who've had the coronavirus. More than a quarter of a million Oklahomans have been sick. A quarter of a million. What we know is that over 2,200 have died. 1,700 people are in the hospital right now. Some hospitals have zero beds available. At times we have had maybe 30 ICU beds available in the entire state. And when you look at other parts around the country, I mean, it is even more dire. They have no beds and no ICUs and people in halls. We all understand the virus really in a whole new way, nine months later and where we are. It is a dark time. And you know, even though all of us have had to struggle with it and has it affected our lives, can we get together as families or go out to eat, what we always like to do, or have our wonderful celebrations, or all go pack out football games, or everybody come to worship, or have Christmas Eve shoulder to shoulder singing Silent Night. You know, we've lost so much this year. Besides people being sick, besides people dying, it's impacted us all our experiences, economically. And what we really all need is a word of hope. And you know, even though it's impacted us, I don't think we all fully appreciate how much it's impacted doctors and nurses and medical care workers, people at hospitals. I have so many friends who are physicians and nurses, people who do work at hospitals, and they just talk about the incredible strain for nine months, the hours they've been working, the fear they've had. Can they go home and not take the virus home to their family? Living all day long in PPEs, trying to stay safe, the stress holding people's hands as they die with no family there. I don't think you and I fully understand the toll, the emotional toll and the physical toll 
It has taken on healthcare workers. But there is hope. One vaccine got approved. Now a second vaccine's been approved. We think a third and a fourth are on the horizon. Vaccines are going out. What a wonderful gift at Christmas. And what's been exciting to see is, is when people have started receiving these vaccines. And it's the medical workers who are getting them. And if you've watched them, it's, it is fun to see. I mean, they're throwing up confetti and they are having parties. And you see these people just thrilled, the relief on their face. I was watching a report by David Begnow. He's a reporter on CBS News. And he was reporting from uh, Louisiana, from the uh, Lady of Lourdes Regional Medical Hospital. And there they were getting their first dose of the vaccine. And they were all thrilled. I mean, they were so excited. The day was going to begin there. And there was a nurse named Sid. She had retired. She used to work in the labor and delivery. But she came back because, you know, the other issue that struggles is a shortage of medical personnel. So she came out of retirement, literally putting her life back on the line to be there, to be in ministry, helping to serve people. And she's at the hospital and she was asked to administer the vaccine to all these different healthcare workers. And so you had a lot of people who would be doing that. They had their lines and ready to go. And as she was there, David Bagnell finally reveals that nurse is his mother. And she is sitting there ready to administer vaccine. And the next person who comes and sits down happens to be an oncologist. An oncologist who took care of Sid 20 years ago to the day with breast cancer. And she said, I used to sit with him and he brought me comfort. And he gave me hope. He saved my life. And with her shot, she said, I want to say thank you for the fact that you saved my life 20 years ago. And I hope this will save yours. After giving vaccines, David was interviewing his mom. And she said, it is so special to be able to offer this to people. She was holding a syringe of the vaccine and she said, you need to understand how people feel this is worth more than gold because this is hope. When Simeon held the baby Jesus, he was holding hope. He had had the faith that God would reveal his light to the world, that God's love would come into the world, the gift of salvation. And now he was holding that hope, still in the darkness, still in a difficult time. But there was hope, for a baby had come. Secondly, don't miss the fact that Simeon was in the temple. At just the right moment, when Mary and Joseph came, bringing the baby Jesus, he was in the temple with hundreds of people coming in, and he happens to see Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus. Now, it wasn't just a happen. It wasn't an accident. 
The scripture tells us he was led by the Spirit to go to the temple. He had had a trust, a faith that God would reveal to him before he died the one who would come to save Israel and the world. It wasn't an accident. No, I think it reminds us that God is always trying to lead us into the light. God is always trying to lead us to experience the light, to lead us in the darkness. It really is about you and I keeping an open heart and being receptive. Because God is trying to lead us to be in the right place, at the right moment, at the right time, for God to speak to us in the way that we need to hear. To lead us in the way that we need. That's the gift of God's love. And you never know exactly when, you never know exactly how or where, but we have faith, we trust in that constant love of us. It is God who is trying to lead us to be to that right place where we experience the miracle of His love in our lives. So you and I can choose life. You know, this has really been a difficult time. It's been difficult in the fact that there's so many things that we are not able to do. All the places we'd love to go eat and being with families. I know many families won't be together. There's that sense of isolation, that sense of aloneness. There's so many things we lose. We've, we've lost every service during this Advent season where we come together and we sing and enjoy the beauty of the worship here or in our Edmond campus. But we're even going to lose Christmas Eve. Lose Christmas Eve and getting together in person. And you just need to know how much I love that just as I know so many of you love that moment. Because it's one of those holy and special moments where you tend to feel the presence of God in your life. You know again in the midst of darkness, you feel love. You feel peace. You experience joy. You choose life because a baby is born in Bethlehem. You know, as a little boy growing up, I attended a downtown church there in Houston. There was my mom, my dad, myself, uh, and there was my brother, Steve. We would all go to First Methodist every single week, almost literally every week we would be there. It was about a 20 to 30 minute drive. But when it came to Christmas Eve, we always went. And they had a midnight service, 11 to 12 o'clock. And I remember as a little boy going to Christmas Eve candlelight service. It was one of my favorite services 60 years ago. We would be there, and I love it when you turn all the lights out and it's dark. It reminds you that sometimes life is dark. But the lights on the Advent wreath would burn. The Christ candle would burn. And from the Christ candle, we would all take a light, and we light our candles, and then we stand and sing Silent Night. And you go out into the night. You can't help but feel love and peace and joy, and it strengthens your faith to trust even more. But what I loved very much about that Christmas Eve candlelight service, we would all leave and then start the drive home. Pretty long drive after midnight now. But I always stayed awake because I knew that when we got home, Santa Claus would have come. 
It just seemed to happen that way every year. We would get home and rush in and there would be the gifts around the tree. Santa had come and we would all have fun looking at the gifts from Santa and then we would beg, can we open one gift? And if they said yes, and we said, what about two gifts? Maybe three gifts. And we'd sit around the tree and open one or two gifts that night. And then at, you know, one to two o'clock in the morning, we would all have a little something to eat. And what we had was barbecue and chocolate pie. That's what my dad wanted. Barbecue and chocolate pie. We didn't have ham, turkey, you know, pecan. or No, no. We had barbecue and chocolate pie. It happened every year. All the years we lived in the same home that I was growing up, all the way through high school till I went off to college, and the tradition was always the same. Christmas Eve, come home, Santa, open a gift and have something to eat. It was a moment that I just felt God's presence in my life. You know, ever since I was five years old, I said I was going to be a preacher. I've just felt that love, the light shining. I left home, went to college. Marsh and I got married when she was 18 and I was 19. We took a little country church. 47th Christmas Eve coming up. And you know, I've loved those. We went out and started a new church in southwest Houston called Mission Bin. And I was used to the big cathedral and the big organ and all the thousands there to sing. And now we had this little church and I thought, you know, it's going to really be different, disappointing. I was wrong. Christmas Eve was still Christmas Eve. And when we had a small group of 100 and then 200 and 500, and finally we started having several thousand, it was still just as meaningful, so beautiful. I loved Christmas Eve at Mission Bend when we would join and light the candles and sing our silent night. Marsh and I had built our home then, and we were so excited. My parents loved to come out to the house. We had the Christmas tree up. We'd go through three or four services. My mom and dad would come and spend Christmas Eve with us. And I was grateful because there now at this place, we were later on Santa's delivery schedule. And it didn't happen at midnight when we were coming home on Christmas Eve. It happened later in the morning. So we would come home and open one or two gifts. And then we'd always have some barbecue and chocolate pie every Christmas Eve. And then get up in the morning and Santa would have come and we would celebrate. And We shared those times with mom and dad. They were so special. Kelly and Paul looked forward every year to Christmas Eve. And then we moved to Oklahoma. And what a special place this has been. Back to the church with the big pipe organ and the thousands who come and being able to gather and light our candles. Just a couple of years ago, our son Paul had grown up, got married to Krista. They'd been in Temple, Texas. He'd been doing his residency. He'd been doing his fellowship to become a vascular surgeon. He had finished now and moved back to Oklahoma City. They were building a home. They were living in a rent home, but they were finally back on a Christmas Eve. And he said, when we get through tonight, why don't you and mom come up and spend the night with us so you can be here when Santa comes for Krista and for Olivia and for Cameron, we'll all be here tomorrow morning. And we said, that sounds incredible. And so we did. We went through all of our services here and we got through and we drove up north to go be in their home. 
And when we came in, there was this beautiful tree and all these packages around. And, and we began to say, you want to open one? How about two? What do you think about three? We sat around the tree. We opened our one present. And then they said, we've got dinner ready. It was barbecue and chocolate pie. Sixty years. A tradition of love continued on. And now this year, we won't be getting together, standing shoulder to shoulder, lighting our candles and singing Silent Night. But you know, there's a couple things that I'm sure of. On this Christmas Eve, we will be joined together in spirit wherever we are. We will light our candles on Christmas Eve. And together, wherever we are, we will sing Silent Night. We will be united together in a spirit of love and in faith, trusting in God's constant love of us, His children. Wherever we are, we are still a family of faith who are experiencing that gift of God's love, a baby born in Bethlehem. And just because the way we worship will be different, the thing I am so sure of is that we will know Christ. The baby will be born. That spirit of Christ will be burning in your heart because of your faith that gives you the strength to choose love, to know peace, and to experience joy. Because a baby is born, you and I, in a very dark period, will be filled with hope. And I am sure, wherever I am, I'll be eating barbecue and chocolate pie. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.